Hi, everybody. Welcome to the America Unchained Project. Today is awesome. Today we talk to Andrea Epting, and we're talking about process addictions. She defines it, she explains it, but basically it's non-chemical-based addictions. She's a wealth of information. We barely scratch the surface, but every single thing she talks about, she touches on, and we expand on is vital to understand if you have any kids in your life at all, whether they are yours, whether they are your relatives, whether they are your students, whether they are people that you take care of in your clinic. We want you to know more about how to keep them safe and what to look for if they're in any danger of process addiction and then what different things look like. You guys, it's... it's it is a condensed, compressed conversation that is just full of so much richness. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Andrea. First of all, below is her information. She has a podcast, and the podcast is Direct Impact. So if you're looking for a good podcast, someone that you're going to enjoy listening to that has really interesting conversations, she's your gal at Direct Impact. Now, Andrea attended the University of Alabama. And she actually got two majors because she's a super smarty, um, psychology and religious studies. And then once she got her master's degree in psychology with a specialty in professional counseling, she became a psychotherapist. So she's currently practicing out of Savannah, Georgia. If you are in Georgia and you're looking for someone, she may be your gal. But without further ado, I just want to give the platform to her. And again, below is the way to reach out to her or to learn more about her or to listen um, to her podcast. Ooh, it's a good one, you guys. So, Andrea Epting. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for being on the America Unchained Project podcast. That's a mouthful. I'm glad you don't have to say it. Um, <laughs> everybody just heard who you are, how to find you. I'm just so honored that you're here today. You are someone that when we connected online and I read your bio, I, I got so excited because you understand what it is we're trying to educate parents, caregivers, and professionals on, which is really summed up in just the idea of process addictions. But before I delve into any questions or just kind of open up to this broader conversation, can you first just introduce yourself and then explain to our audience who might be hearing the word process addictions for the first time, what that even is? Absolutely. And thank you, Charity, for having me. Um, I really am excited to be here and to speak to your audience. Um, so process addictions um, are very similar and used to be labeled behavioral addictions. Okay. Um, I just feel like process disorders, process addiction is a much better way to understand them. Um, the definition of addiction is a pathological relationship to any mood altering behavior that has life damaging consequences. So it really is those three parts and to be able to start to move towards not just abuse and misuse, but uh, addiction and dependency, you have to show that there has been attempts to stop or discontinue a behavior and you have not been able to maintain that. So when you're looking at process addictions, you are looking more at the behaviors and the thought processes. So you're looking at compulsivity, not just the acting out behavior itself. So it's just more 
broad, um, but it but it is an addiction nonetheless. And I like the term addiction because that it means it is a state of prolonged dis-ease that moves and progresses into a pervasive disease. And there is a disease model that can effectively treat it, which is why I love working in the realm of addiction recovery, because there's a way to get better. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's so important that people need to hear right in the beginning. Yeah. This is not a lifelong sentence. You can walk through a process that I know is not easy. We don't want to make it sound like it's easy, um, but but it is overcomable. And and if we have time, I'd love for you to to talk about that. But if we don't have time, guys, it's okay. All of Andrea's information is below, and you can uh, explore her podcast as well as as everything else she posts, and really find some answers. And if you're in Georgia, she's in Savannah, Georgia, so reach out to her. So in that in that realm of process addiction, can you give us a few examples or maybe common examples that that you see in patients? Absolutely. Um, and when I look at process addictions, I also do look at dopamine deficiencies in general. And so I know that some of the things and the types of dependencies we'll be talking about include technology and devices. And I feel like it's important to understand that as, you know, a dopamine deficiency developing with prolonged use. So I, I hope that makes sense. So, but when you're looking at process addictions, you are looking at things um, outside of chemical dependency, um, looking at sex, you're looking at um, mood and food disorders, you're looking at um, pornography, you're looking at shopping, you're looking at all types of different behaviors that lead to long-term and consistent consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And I know off camera, we mentioned marijuana yeah. uh, use as well. And I, and I think in gaming, you know, all these things that kids have access to sometimes now, certainly not marijuana from a young age, but screens, interactive screens, they have, um, you know, access to those. A lot of us, I, I mean, ladies, listen, when I'm in Costco and your child is bored and I mean, and you see someone who gives their child a little video on the phone, this isn't what we're talking about. We're, I'm talking more about interactive screens that are six hours, eight hours, 10 hours a day. Um, and like you were just talking about dopamine in another post, ladies, there's, there's an explanation of what we're talking about when we talk about a dopamine fix. Um, there's a great book called Dopamine Nation. I recommend that to a lot of people to read. It's a really good base understanding of what we're talking about. But when you talk about these um, process addictions, I know you see probably several and you just listed several. Is there one in particular that you feel comes up more often or is more pervasive in these, in this developmental brain years, like kids and teens? So devices mm -hmm. and pornography. Yeah, absolutely. As far as behavioral addictions go or process addictions. Um, now, oftentimes you're going to see a lot of comorbidity that comes up with that. And we can talk about that. We can talk about the chicken and the egg when it comes to trauma and genetics and just, um, gosh, continued use <laughs> over a period of time. Like we can talk about all of that. But so they are oftentimes comorbid with ADHD and dyslexia. Um, it's also comorbid with chemicals, 
oftentimes marijuana and alcohol um, at these very early ages. And we're talking 10 to 12, um, not, oh, you know, your, you know, later adolescence. I mean, they are, they do have access are, and are exposed to um, chemicals in addition to the behavior. So you can see how one builds into being very vulnerable and easy to um, build a dependency on chemicals down the road when they're introduced. Absolutely. And and I don't want to speak for anyone you've worked with, and I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth. I just know that another thing that, you know, drives this, and, and I don't know that you would call it a comorbidity so much as maybe a habit, but loneliness or disconnectedness, you know, we can be in the in a house with human beings and still feel isolated and alone. Or, you know, once upon a time, you know, we would read a book if we were bored or draw a picture if we were bored. But by golly, that tablet is a siren call for adults, much less kids. And so we pick it up and we don't realize, especially as parents, that we're not just occupying our child depending on the level of use and, and, and how they're using it, we could literally be creating in them an addiction. And I do, and again, I don't want to, sh- parents, you know me well enough to know I'm not shaming anyone. I'm not judging anyone. I think we just need to be honest about what can cause an introduction to something that can become an addiction. And as parents, we have to guard our kids uh, against this. So if you were to talk to a, I'm just going to be hypothetical here, and I know not everyone finds hypotheticals fair. So I understand that. Um, But hypothetically speaking, if I, as a parent came to you and I said, I have, I'll just be honest. My kids' ages are all boys, 16, 13, and uh, 10. So let's say with my uh, 13 year old, um, thank God he doesn't have this problem as far as I know. But if I found him using marijuana with a friend and then I notice paraphernalia around the house. And I'm starting to realize that he is creating a habit of using marijuana. Now, my gut reaction is I need to go get help. I need to get some tools. I need to help my son. However, I'm going to be frank. A lot of parents really, because it's legal in a lot of states now, have become really lax on marijuana use with their uh, developing kids. What would you say to me as a parent if I came to you and said, well, should I even be worried about this? He's he's 13, but, you know, as long as he only uses pot every once in a while, I think it's okay. But I wanted your opinion because you're a professional. Yeah, my answer would be you should absolutely be worried. Um and in making plans for him to get, um, you know, access to resources and some care around even just psychoeducation because, but you definitely want to have an assessment and evaluation to see how progressed this is. And because of technology, because of devices, because of how young they are when their little brains become dependent on this type of dopamine hit, they really are set up for dependency to chemicals. So it's like where, well, back in the day before we had, you know, all these dopamine hits, you know, constantly all day long, you know, it might take us a little bit longer to become um, physiologically dependent on a chemical, but now it's not going to take that long. And Mary, marijuana is phys- uh, physiologically and physically, okay, addictive. Um, and, and I know people don't like to hear that, but it is a statistical reality. And so it is something that we need to take seriously. And And that's, I'll tell you one of the things that I have conversations with parents about is also just like you mentioned in some states that's illegal chemical 
chemical, just like, like alcohol, tobacco and other things. That's fine. You know, like, you know, other chemicals are legal and accessible. And just because you can't get into legal trouble doesn't mean that you can't develop a progressive and pervasive disease that leads to lifelong consequences that you can't recover from. Um, and, and that's really what we're trying to prevent. I mean, I, I never get into a conversation around legality when it comes to life damaging chemicals. You know, Absolutely. it really is just about the risk and the reward. And what do we want to get out of? <clears throat> excuse me. What do we want to get out of life? Um, yeah. And most of us really want to achieve a higher level of ourselves. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. we want to be able to use all of our strengths to positively benefit, you know, not just ourselves, but others around us. And when you're dependent on a chemical, you find that really challenging. Absolutely. And, and I think people feel the same way about gaming online or, you know, it can't be that bad. They're, they're just doing it. They're, they're, I, I tell people all the time, just because your little honey boo-boo has a tablet and is sitting on your couch doesn't mean in my, in my world, they can't be reached out to and groomed. They can't be, you know, pursued. It's the same thing with these addictions, just because you're witnessing it in real time doesn't mean it's not happening. And, and I think what's really difficult is as a parent, I work in a field where I am, I have had an advantage. I didn't realize was astronomically beneficial to my parenting, which is listening to people like you for 10 years. And I don't want to ever be disrespectful to any other parent. We're not, I'm not, I can't speak for Andrea. I'm not insulting anyone's parenting skills, but guys, what you don't realize, because I didn't realize it either, is you only have so many tools in your toolbox and parenting takes about a thousand tools. <laughs> and I had like eight and I'm like gathering them like it is going out of style on a cheap Kmart sale. You know, like I have got to grab all I can. And so that's one of the reasons we do this. And so kind of going along with that, um, it's a little bit of a tag on to the process addictions. And I know we could spend hours on just the subject alone, but you mentioned trauma and you mentioned ADHD and you mentioned other, you know, my dad is actually dyslexic. My, my, my husband has what's called dysgraphia. I have been surrounded my whole life by men who have, who learn different um, in my, in some of my children take longer to learn than, than, but we just learn different. And it makes sense that when you said that, that people, might be have a higher tendency to be addicted if they learn different or process information different. I'm very uh, verbal, audiovisual. YouTube is my it isn't my vice anymore, but it was my go to vice, and I had to get off of it because I would just like endlessly hunt for the perfect thing to watch next. I didn't even watch films anymore, and I'm a huge film person. So, so kind of touching on that, let's say your, your child has been diagnosed legitimately with ADD or ADHD. Yeah. Is and there, I've got two of them. I also okay. have a 15 year old, I have a 17 year old and yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I get it. So how do you safeguard your kids knowing that there's a, look, ladies and gentlemen, these companies don't give a crap about your kids. And I have sat in rooms with people who were designers for video games, and they said a psychologist or a psychiatrist would be in every one of their meetings, informing them on how to make their game more addicting. Okay. So these companies are smart. They are smart and they are trying to get your kids addicted 
sorry to burst anyone's bubble that may not believe that's true. It's absolutely true. But I, but, but how do you safeguard your kids? We of course want them to have a normal childhood, but not normal all at the same time. Yeah. What are some safeguards that you would encourage parents to put in their lives if you know your child's more susceptible to these sorts of things? Yeah. And I think it start, starts there with um, looking at a family history and yep. looking honestly if there is a genetic predisposition um, towards addiction or dependencies with chemicals or behaviors. Um, and so that's just that genetic piece. I feel like all of our kids are vulnerable now because of the devices and all this stimuli and the dopamine hits and all of that. So, but I would take an honest inventory and just be like, okay, so when I look at how susceptible are my kids, I want to look at genetics. I want to look at trauma. Um, trauma is how we respond to events. It's not necessarily what happened or how it happened. It is our response to perceived danger and threat. And I just, I feel like there are very few individuals that can even make it to age five who haven't experienced some um, brain chemistry altering traumas. So I think we can pretty much look at that as a given for most human beings, whether our children have shared this with us in depth or not. I think we can kind of look at most people have accumulated little T traumas. Um, and most of these little T traumas are very unintentional, but they do occur. And so we're looking at trauma, we're looking at genetics and family history, and we're also looking at, again, how much time are they using that we're aware of with these devices and other types of addictive, you know, behaviors. So I think it starts with just like psychoeducation and conversation and being open and honest and vulnerable with your kids and letting them understand that you're not coming at them like this is a good or a bad thing. This is just the reality. And we'd like to set them up for long-term success. Um, I know in my household, we have very honest conversations around um, risky behaviors and to include chemicals, to include sex, to even include talking about, you know, being sex positive and healthy sexuality and all of those things. And I just, I feel like being on that level where you're, there is openness and honesty and transparency and authenticity with your kids is like the best place to start. Because then when you have those tidbits of information that you want to share with them, they'll be a little bit more receptive instead of defensive because they're going to yeah. have the tendency to side with and choose their device over your opinion. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Because if, you know, I loved what you said when you said, you know, you have to be open and honest and have at least have an opportunity to let your kids speak without being judged. They mm -hmm. have to be able to speak out loud and you actually just listen rather than argue or defend or try to shape how yeah. they're feeling and thinking because they'll trust you. And once they trust you, you can develop a relationship. Now I'm not here to say that you should let your kids do whatever they want just because, you know, they trust you. But at the same time, like you said, you have, you, you know, it sounds like you also are good at putting consequences to action, you know, Hey, 
this is a consequence to this action, risky behavior. This is what you get when you act out in this way, that when you participate in these things, there is always a consequence to action. And a lot of kids think that they're the exception to the rule. We, we were kind of all that way to a point. Um, but I love what you also said, those little T traumas, and a lot of them are unintentional. Um, when a child, you, you listen, I don't know about your boys. I've got three and they're very different. <laughs> I have a girl and a boy, but oh, you have a girl and a boy. Awesome. Aside from that, oh my gosh! They, aside from the fact that they share two parents, they have absolutely nothing in common. Uh, nothing. And I don't know if one of them's more sensitive than the other one. Um, you know, that's I have a sensitive son. I mean, it's not that, and then one that is kind of a hybrid of both of them. So he's a, he is sensitive, but he can kind of toughen up too. And then the first one's just very literal and black and white. But I. I have to talk to them different. Not We don't have to talk about different things, but I have to approach them differently because one won't hear me if I'm too careful in how I word my words. The other one won't hear me if I'm too blunt. Now they know if it's an emergency situation, mom's just a drill sergeant and, and they're on, you know, they get that. But But I think as parents, we also have to respect how people process information. If, you know, too much information coming at them at once or, you know, we get used to big adult words, you know, and they need smaller broken down concepts. We've lived a much longer life and we're, it's, it's easy to judge where they're at based on me being 46 and them being 10. Well, that's not really fair. I, it's hard for me to remember being 10. I need to remember he's only 10. To, um, but I think what's so key about what you just said is staying connected with your kids disconnection from your parents and disconnection from your children on the flip side of that, it, it's, it's not easy to get back once it's gone. It is possible and we should work for that. But connectedness is such a safe place for kids and it can help with these process addictions. It can help with temptations they're facing. If they feel like they can tell you anything and you're not just going to judge them instantly, again, there's consequences to action. Our one rule with our boys is just tell us the truth. Like, just tell us the truth. Um, my son even confessed to something once. And, he, he, you know, it's not that there was no consequence, but the consequence was a less significant for sure because he just told us the truth. Because it's um, an issue of safety. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> to, and, 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 and I know we're, our time is short, but can you, can you end with that? Can you explain? Because I say this to my kids. My job is to keep you safe, to yeah. keep your mind, body, and soul safe. Mm -hmm. And I can't do that if you're hiding things from me. That's right. And, and you're growing up and you deserve more responsibility. And these boundaries will expand as you earn the, the trust and the right to do so. But my job is keeping you safe. So, so let's, can we end on that? Can you yeah. just explain to maybe a parent who you know, didn't see this coming? And they had all the good intentions of the world and we're not here to judge what they've done. But moving forward, all we can change is what's going to happen from today on. How do they keep their children safe from these process addictions in their home? Like what kind of culture or rules, just maybe some general ideas they can, they can literally take and instill in their home to keep their kids safe. to what I was saying in the beginning, which is it starts with that relationship piece and the best mm -hmm. way, again, when we're talking about prevention to yep. keep them safe is to open up a dialogue um, that really reinforces trust yeah. and honesty. And I'll go a step beyond that is just making sure that 
you know, whatever consequences come, you allow them to be theirs. Yes. The biggest issue that I run into is where this really is about a response to the caregiver's anxiety, not necessarily about the kid's behavior. And so I think, you know, I'm always going to recommend psychotherapy and family therapy as part of that, especially if you identify that something has now progressed into a dependency where there are mood shifts and withdrawals and things that you know result when you're trying to now manage behaviors um, because of this. Like we all play a role. It really is a family systems disease when you're talking about kiddos. When you're talking about kiddos, we all need to take responsibility for the results, but also not blame yourself for two seconds about how this happened, because none of this happened, you know, most of the time, I mean, without just like really good intentions and people just doing the very best that they can with what they have to work with. And so, I mean, I just, I really believe that. And I want parents to really offer themselves all the self-compassion in the world so that they can honestly look at, you know, their relationship with their kiddos. And also, you know, are they holding them accountable? Can we just look at behaviors as risk and reward? And when there is a risk and a consequence, hold them accountable to their consequences because they belong to them, not to us. It's not for us to clean up and it's not for us to overreact to. Oh, that's, such a good place to end. And I, I love what you said. You know, it is a family problem and, and I can only speak for myself, but I had to overcome addictions I had in my life before I had kids. Cause I didn't want to pass them on. Mm-hmm. And even as I had kids, I found, I found habits. And one day I found myself having the same response to grabbing my cell phone that I had, that I had had to a food addiction I had overcome. It's that same impulsivity, mm-hmm. that same, like that same exact mirrored feeling like welled up in me. And I was like, <gasps> I'm addicted to my cell phone. No. And I, it's not easy friends. We live in a world of cell phones. We have to use them. We have to eat food. But if we can set the example for our kids, as we're walking out the process with our kids, it's back to that family unit thing. We are going to find ourselves stronger to help them because we're walking through it as well. And again, please see a counselor, please go to a therapist as you're doing all this, please, you need help. We all need help. And they're going to be able to cut to the chase. Um, I suggest finding someone that sounds like like Andrea's exactly someone you want to find that's honest with you. That isn't going to lie and just say whatever you want to hear to make you feel good about your day. But that is going to say, like you just said, be compassionate to yourself, but you can change. And I'm going to walk you through this, this process of change. Just because Andrea, something's not our fault doesn't mean it's not our responsibility. And I think we can absolutely. say it's not my fault, but now it is my responsibility. And I just feel like mm-hmm. that is a great place to start. And if you feel that there is a behavior that is now compulsive for one of your kiddos or yourself, go get an evaluation and work with somebody to, you know, address that. And, you know, just know we're all, we're all human. And, and again, it doesn't come back to good or bad. It just comes Mm -hmm. back to living your best life. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, this would be something I can only speak for myself. But like, I had to forgive myself for, listen, ladies, 
when you've got toddlers at home and you're exhausted and you're like wanting to cry, you want to take a nap so bad, like give yourself a little break. If you, you know, I don't mind, you know, if your toddler needs to look at a tablet for 30 minutes so mom can sleep on the couch, like, come on, let's be realistic. Mm -hmm. But when you, but when you start to realize those habit forming things in yourself or in your kids, like, like Andrea just said, please reach out for help. You know, we're all human beings. And I, and I'm just going to reiterate this again. These companies know how to make people addicted. These drug companies know like you are a human being. We've all fallen for lies in our lives. We've all, you know, but like you said, it may, don't blame yourself, blaming yourself and feeling ashamed, feeling shame, shaming yourself isn't going to help your child or yourself. So it'll exacerbate it. I promise. It'll, it'll just make it worse. (laughs) Um, so Andrea, oh my gosh, this was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you Um, for having me. Man, (laughs) you are just great. And, and I know you could have talked about a hundred other things. I could have. But you've got a podcast, so let's just go on to your podcast. Rabbit holes there. I know. I was like, um, I'm going to ask you a big question. Keep it small. And you're like, you did it. I'm really impressed because it's really hard to keep keep narrow. There's so um, much maybe- more to talk about for sure. But I, oh. I do. I, I hope that you know, the parents will be able to hear the nuggets that we offered. And I also do recommend the book Irresistible. I'm going to forget the author's name, but I I just had this in front of my face. It's orange, right? It is. Yeah. The cover. (laughs) Yes. I will. I I have it. I have a stack of books that I'm reading through right now for my educational series. And it is one of them. So it will be below parents and, and anyone listening that book will be linked below. So Andrea, I know which book you're talking about. So I'll know I'll recommend the right one. Irresistible. Absolutely. I think Glow Kids is a good one. I think the Dopamine Nation is a good one. All that'll be listed below you guys. So just look below. Andrea, you're a breath of fresh air. I love your honesty. I love your love for people. And I hope to hear from you again soon. Thank you, Charity. This was fun.